you know, if you understand trauma, not just as a personal failing, but as a result of geopolitical, societal, much larger events that have to do with race and war and everything, then I think you can work on healing without so much self-hatred. Yeah. You can say, you know, this happened because of war, because of suffering, because we didn't have resources that I have now. Thank you for the abilities that these uh, symptoms gave us to keep us alive. And hey, like the ways in which it's hurt us, let's not try to keep those moving forward to the next generation. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. This show is meant to be a guide for you. We're going to talk not only about how we can start to become aware of what are the subconscious things that are holding us back and how we can instead choose thoughts that are actually going to propel us forward. But in addition to changing the landscape internally, we are going to talk about the strategies that actually will help you to build a profitable business, getting paid to be you. Because when you have a business where you do what you love, you never really have to have that sense of work because it's a pleasure, because it's joy. And really, I want you to have the most abundant life. I want you to have the kind of life that you love waking up to every day that you don't feel like you need a vacation from. So together on the show, every single episode, I want to be your friend. I want to be your mentor. I want to show you what is it that I think has really been insightful, been helpful? What are the tools and strategies? What are the mindset shifts that have helped me? And what are the things that have helped my guests to get to where they are? How can we together sort of cross this river to the most fulfilling life where we show up and we feel like we are living into our potential and having the most gorgeous, beautiful experience? Because after all, that is what we all desire. We're all craving to have the most joyful, beautiful life and I really believe that we can design that and that we can experience a life that we just absolutely love. And not only will we enjoy it, but it will be a possibility for other people. It will show other people what's there for them. And then maybe together, each one of us, by being the happiest versions of ourselves and being the most fulfilled versions of ourselves, we will help other people to reach for that higher branch and to find that in their own life. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the podcast. We have such a good conversation for you today. Stephanie Fu is here and it's really intense stuff that we're talking about, but I got so much out of it and I really applaud her for her courage and her bravery to share this topic. We're talking about trauma that she's been through and her amazing book that really deals with complex PTSD. And you might want to skip it if it triggers you, but I do feel like there's so much in this that really served me. And so I hope that it will serve you. Before we dive in, I do want to also let you know that we rolled out a membership I'm doing that's only $10 a month. And it's specific for those of you who want to have meditations of mine. And so every single month you get four meditations, four different meditations a month. It's $10 a month. You can cancel at any time. And there'll be also special perks just for members as we continue to roll exciting new surprises out. But it seems to be helping so many people. People are saying that these meditations are really just so key in starting their day and helping them to fully to create and design and manifest the things that they really want to see happening in the day and putting them in a state of flow. If you want to check it out, 
go to kathyheller.com slash membership. We'd love to have you in there. It's really cool to share these meditations with you guys. So today, as I was saying, Stephanie Fu is here. She's a writer, award-winning producer, speaker, instructor, and New York Times bestselling author. If you've ever heard This American Life, then you've probably heard her voice because she was a producer there. She co-produced a few video series for them, and she actually won an Emmy. And still, with all those accolades, Stephanie was experiencing heavy anxiety. And a few years ago, she was diagnosed with complex PTSD, which led her to write a beautiful book called What My Bones Know, a memoir of healing from complex trauma. This is a searing memoir of reckoning and healing where she investigates the science behind complex PTSD, interviews scientists and psychologists, plus she shares her journey of trying a variety of innovative therapies, which she'll talk about in this episode. Ultimately, she discovered that you don't move on from trauma, but you can learn to move with it. And I think it's just such a needed book for anyone who's had any level of trauma. So do yourself a favor. And if this resonates with you, go get yourself a copy. Stephanie is not only so accomplished, but she's so humble and she's so genuine. It's so hard to hear that she's lived through so much, but I'm so grateful that she's doing this and that she has come to a place where her healing can serve other people. Without further ado, please welcome the awesome Stephanie Fu. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's pretty rare that people have the courage to tell the truth. And I feel like sometimes it's not even about courage. It's just about awareness. I think sometimes we don't even have the awareness of what that truth is in order to tell it. But I feel like you found your way to knowing some insight into what was going on with you. And then you very bravely shared it. And you wrote this book in 2022, What My Bones Know, which is such a beautiful title, A Memoir of Healing from Complex Trauma. And I'm sure that you've been blown away by how many people have felt like they resonate with it. So I would love to talk about the book and just what's come since, right? So first of all, before we even get into the book, I guess what's even more important in a sense is what led you to the insight? How did you begin to know all of the things that you wound up writing about in the book? Well, I think that I always knew that I struggled with anxiety and depression. That's something that's been a big part of my life since I was 12 years old. But it wasn't until I was diagnosed with complex PTSD when I was 30 that I was forced to really grapple with the fact that I had this mental health condition that was a direct result of the severe child abuse that I suffered mm. as a child. And um, that is something that I really had tried to say that I was over and tried to believe was in my past. And I really needed to instead reckon with the hurt that had been done to me, realize that it wasn't in the past. It was very much in my present and affecting my everyday. And that's what got me to embark on a few years of healing and research to figure out what exactly I could do about that and how I could feel more whole and complete and happy and in control on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're saying these words and we say them in a matter of seconds, but these are like giant things to say. And um, I feel like it's only recently Uh, Even this morning, I was just texting a friend and saying how 
lately I have more and more, I mean, I've, I've been on this path of wanting to heal since I'm 12 in and out of therapy, going on retreats, spending a lot of time in this process. And it's only recently that I have this real awareness that my ego has all these survival skills that come from like a, um, a deep pain around real emotional intimacy, which probably has a lot to do with childhood. And I'm just like, how many of us don't get still because when we're still, there's so much that we don't want to face that's there, you know? And so these are the unsexy things, but these are the most important things. You know, there's so many books on like achievement and like success and all of that stuff. And yeah, there's value in that. But if you're just building on the back of trauma, like so many people are without realizing Oh my God. Like at what point does your body just break, you know? So right. I was yeah. when you have to realize that like, if you've built all this on the bones of on unsteady foundation, you're going to have to go back and like dig up the foundation and, and fix dig it. Up. Dig it up. So tell us a little bit about what you then realized you were still carrying around from childhood. That was very much active in your day-to-day, whether you had known it or not. I think, well, I was, very successful on paper at the time. I was working as a producer at This American Life. I had a pretty decent life living in New York City, you know, stable partner. But at the same time, I was feeling really depressed, anxious. I was having panic attacks at work. Um, I was having a hard time, like, believing that the world would keep going and getting really caught up in, like, apocalyptic beliefs about climate change and everything, just overwhelmed by everything, I guess. And I think what I came to eventually realize was that I was still living in a state of near constant fear. And the fear was residual from being brought up to believe that something bad was going to happen Mm. at any given time. Yeah. Because my parents were so volatile and, you know, did threatened my life on many occasions, um, but over very small things going wrong. So I had these very perfectionistic tendencies, was very into controlling everything, was very frustrated and scared when I felt like I couldn't control a situation or a thing. And I needed to deal with how I could feel less afraid because it was definitely affecting my relationships, my day to day and just my ability to be happy. I'm so grateful to you as you just share it. I'm sitting here and I just feel like this is an answered prayer. I feel like for myself personally, but for this audience and for the world, if the world was an audience, because I think the secret that everybody has is that we all have the same secret, which is that there's a tremendous amount of pain and we don't know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a continuum, right? Certain people have had different kinds of pain. And yet that doesn't really matter so much because for you as the individual, that's still your journey, right? And so it's not about comparing it, but it is there is what I'm saying for everyone. And we don't know how to lean into it. And so we just find all these distractions, right? And whether it's scrolling your phone or, and then like you say, you get to this place where everything on paper, you've checked, you've checked every box and you're like, so what is this 
feeling in my chest? What's this feeling in my stomach? Why is there still this like, woo, this feeling you talk about in the book, this inherited sort of generational trauma, what gets passed down, what we're carrying. Can you talk a little bit about what you've discovered about yourself and your own family of origin and what you want to no longer pass down or even hold that you might've been holding from the past? Yeah. I mean, I think I really wanted to know why this had happened to me, why I had gone through the abuse and neglect that I had. And I also wanted to understand my trauma as not just personal, but communal, because I think there's a lot of self-blame that happens when you believe that your trauma is very personal. It's like, okay, these bad things happened to me as a kid, but why can't I just get over it? Right. The broken one and the crazy one. And as I started to research more in my Asian American community and in my family's history, I learned that there's just a tremendous amount of trauma in my San Jose majority minority immigrant community that was full of refugees. There was just a lot of child abuse. There was a lot of the same kind of trauma that I suffered from. And in my larger Malaysian community, there's a ton of trauma in terms of my family had survived the Malayan emergency. They had survived the Japanese occupation of World War II. They survived tremendous racism against Chinese people in Malaysia. And hmm. that meant, you know, my grandmother, my great-grandmother had to fend off starvation. They had to, like, steal clothes off of corpses to resell them. They had to come up with a million oh, different God. hustles to survive. And when you look at your own anxiety, let's say in the context of generational lessons like that, you understand like complex PTSD is not a mental illness in times of war. It is just a survival mechanism. It's just a survival skill to keep you alive. Like, yeah. of course you have to stay vigilant if something can kill you, if you could starve, whatever. And so this ambition that I had, this hustle that I had, it's not just mine to carry and it's not just mine to place blame on. It is something that has been in my family for generations. And in fact, has not always been a deterrent or a bad thing in our family. It yeah. is what kept us alive, what's made me stay alive in many ways. Which, you know, if you understand trauma, not just as a personal failing, but as a result of geopolitical societal much larger events that have to do with race and war and everything then i think you can work on healing without so much self-hatred yeah you can say you know this happened because of war because of suffering because we didn't have resources that i have now thank you for the abilities that these uh symptoms gave us to keep us alive and hey like the ways in which it's hurt us, let's not try to keep those moving forward to the next generation. Totally. My my husband and I just did a four-day intensive uh, with this woman who flew out here from a place called Onsite, and she does this incredible experiential therapy, and she had us create index cards for every member of our family. So like mother, father, grandparent, even like grandparents' parents, like 
even people we didn't know, but we knew of anyone we knew anything about, we created an index card for them. And she's like, just write it all down. And then she gave us scissors and she wanted us to cut out of the index cards, things that we were carrying from them that we wanted to set down. And my husband and I are both Jewish. My grandparents half came from the Holocaust and the other half came from Ukraine mm-hmm. before that. And my husband's family, similarly, actually all of his came from, from the Holocaust, from, from that part of the world. And so we write it all down and we're both sobbing. And she's like, you realize that you're both carrying other people's grief. Like there's so much grief. There's so, so, so much grief. Did you ever look at this? And we're both like sitting there, like sobbing, like can barely speak because it's, we had everyone's story written on an index card and like everything that had happened. And she's like, you don't have to carry their grief anymore. Like you have to live in this moment. And we were just like, Oh my God. Like there's this feeling you don't realize you just don't realize it's in your cells. As you say, it's in your bones, you know, like, cause yeah. you, you carry things. I mean, there's you do a- have to carry it to a certain degree, right? Genetically or you right. know, with the upbringing that I'm sure that our parents had where it was tinged with survival, uh, this was desperate need for it. And so like, you do have to carry it to a certain degree, but there, there, I like this exercise of like you, there comes a point at which you have to spread it out on the table and decide which of these am I going to put down? Yeah. And I very much relate to what you said, because my grandmother having come from world war two and lost, I mean, family murdered, right? Like, like went through actual, like horror, which people do, right? As you're saying too. She always gave me this feeling like, you know, the shoe's going to drop. Don't be too happy. When you get too happy, that's when you'll turn around and like something will happen. So like, stay on alert, stay vigilant, you know, like, and so when you're constantly staying vigilant, your blood pressure goes up and you can't really be present. You can't really let yourself enjoy. And then you feel survivor's guilt if you really let yourself be happy. Cause it's like, who am I to be happy when all these people could barely survive? just getting through the day, you know? So I think what this conversation is bringing to light is just, it's so massive. And where, where does this get talked about? You know, where does this get talked about? Especially when we're all digesting in like 90 second reels at this point and like hashtags and headlines, nobody's really taking the time to have these deep conversations. One of the things you talk about in this depth is what is complex PTSD, right? And and I had never really known the difference. I still don't really know the difference between regular stress and PTSD or complex PTSD and PTSD. Tell us a little bit about that and what, what that has meant for you in healing. How does that help you to heal by understanding it more? I think there is a limit to how helpful diagnoses can be. Right. Because I do think a lot of the things, I don't think that my book is just for people with complex PTSD. Like I think people with any level of trauma, we all can go through similar venues of healing, but complex PTSD is pretty unique in that um, you can get PTSD from a single traumatic incident, like being in a car crash. Um, But complex PTSD is like, if you were in that car crash once a week, every week for like three years. So it's when the trauma happens over and over and over. And that just doesn't really happen unless you're very unlucky or basically you have somebody in your life who's either close to who's supposed to be protecting you or taking care of you and is instead abusing you. 
And so common survivors of complex PTSD are child abuse survivors, um, domestic abuse survivors, often actually uh, survivors of living in war zones mm. where you know, death is happening on a regular yeah. basis. And so it basically sort of teaches you that humans in general are dangerous when you are hurt so often by other humans. Relationships get scary and hard. And you have to relearn to trust other people and relearn to interact with them and how to ask for your needs to be met by them, to trust them enough for that oh, kind of Lord. thing. Yeah. And and that's hard for all of us, I think. But for people with complex PTSD, it can be pretty debilitating sometimes. Again, it's like every time I want to respond, I just want to give you the sort of respect to say like, these are such big things, you know, and it's like, we can have a conversation on a podcast, but I just want to honor the magnitude of what you're saying, you know, and like, just, and just to name it. Yeah. It's much more common. When I first learned about it, I didn't, it's a relatively new diagnosis and I didn't feel like I knew anybody with complex PTSD, but domestic violence, child abuse, it's all much more common than we think. Yeah. Even though it sounds really scary and awful. Um, yeah. I mean, as you're speaking, I'm like, gosh, in so many ways, there's, there's so much I relate to about it. And in your story, uh, sorry. you know, <laughs> welcome know. to the club. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. It's so sweet. I know it's amazing. Like people just forget to say that, like, I'm so sorry that you experienced that, right? Like just that alone is such a beautiful thing. And I am so sorry that you had to go through one day of this. And I'm also so grateful that you're writing about it because it already is and we can't change what is. But I do relate to just this feeling of constant chaos in my house and craziness and just getting really used to the crazy and having a violent dad and a very manic depressive suicidal mom. And then when I was in my teenage years, my dad left and my mom was really suicidal. So I was very much alone. And I know in your story, um, and again, I don't like to compare stories because they're each just, it's like comparing orange and blue. It's like yeah. orange is orange and blue is blue. There's no need to compare them. They're different. Um, but I do think that people listening will find their own reflections in this story. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that's the point. It's like, we all find pieces that we pick up and go, this is where this feels like a connection. That's, that's all that I'm saying, but that must have been extremely dark to go through that period of your life as a teenager without not only without having the support, but having come from such a place that you now have to kind of find the resources inside of yourself. It's like, where did you begin? How did you do that on your own? What was your first lifeline? Yeah, I don't, it's, it's tough because so just for like brief context, my, my parents were both very physically and emotionally abusive. They were both pretty suicidal. And my mom left when I was 13 and my dad left when I was 16. 15, 16 ish. So I was living by myself for a lot of high school and people are always like, you're so brave. How did you find the courage to do that? And it's not about bravery. <laughs> it's about like, what else can you do? You just survive. There are no choices. Is that or die. Right. And I think 
I was very privileged in many ways in that like my dad left me the house and enough money to buy some food. And so, you know, there are people who are totally unresourced. And so I was able to have the mental space and time to find a crutch in journalism and writing and really throw myself into that. It was a very lonely time for me. It was very hard to speak to anyone, really, because my experience felt so isolating and strange and they knew exactly what I was going through. And so having this excuse to go and interview people and have social interactions with people that were very structured, having a list of questions that I had to ask them and yeah, having to leave my house to go talk to people, even if it was for a job and then writing their story and organizing it into something orderly and nice. It was really helpful for me. And so I think that's why I really threw myself into storytelling and journalism for so many years. And that is sort of what saved me and kept me alive until there was a point at which I was so burnt out from making that my identity, my source of self-worth, that I had trouble working. And then I was like, well, this can't be my only coping mechanism. I got to figure out something else. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. It was just this morning talking to a friend about that. Just this morning, how we can develop this performance and we don't realize it's a performance. It's just how we find self-worth in some somebody suit, some way that we just show up. And then after a while, we're like, oh, what would it feel like if I wasn't in this particular performance as my sense of self-identity? And I actually just like allow there to be intimacy and be myself. It's like, oh, that's new. I don't know what that feels like, or I don't know what that would be like. Um, what is myself if not, what is my identity if it is not whatever journalist or whatever exactly performance that I have crafted for myself as a veneer for the world to hide all the ugly stuff. Yeah. My God. When I left my house, high school in the middle of whatever our things all falling apart, uh, I went to college and then became editor of my college paper and started interviewing people, which led me to finding a lot of ease and some flow in shining a light on other people. It was like, oh my God, I could do this to the max. I could be really good at that. Mm -hmm. And then I built a whole world on that. And again, like starting to peel away, starting to go, oh, what does it feel like if there's just room for there to be, I don't know, a moment where... I'm not shining a spotlight on someone. And instead there's just, you can see me, you know, it's just like, oh my God. And, and having narcissistic parents, it's hard as a kid because that's such a foreign experience, you know, for someone to go, how are you? I see you. Let me, let me help you name what's going on in your experience. Like, what is that? And this feels uncomfortable. So I find it so Herculean that you've done this, like, 
you've been doing this to the point where you could talk about it and write a book about it. So how did you take that journey back to yourself? Like, what were you becoming aware of or what were you doing that allowed you to find the strength (laughs) to sit with whatever is actually there and to be right where you are? I think it's similar. I think it was like you either find a way to live with this or you don't live. At that point, it was so desperate for me after my diagnosis that it was like a life or death situation. So it wasn't so much about courage. It was about just, oh my God, find a way to live with complex PTSD. Um, Mm. And so I just tried everything. I kind of approached the topic as a journalist and I also just went like full balls to the wall. Yeah. Just meditation and EMDR and IFS and breath work and yoga and everything that I could afford, which I couldn't afford everything. (laughs) So there were things that were too expensive for me to try, but I did whatever I could. And I think I got a little bit out of almost everything. And I think it wound up being almost like a three-pronged solution. I think the first was sort of a very somatic bodily solution, which was meditation and restorative yoga really helped with, and also psychedelics, which was just figuring out what it meant to be in my body. And when I was triggered, how to calm that a little bit with my body and the science behind that and how... You know, if I was focusing on the present, I couldn't be freaking out about the future. My brain just, that's not how brains work. So Mm. that was sort of step one to just getting that initial panic trigger to calm down. And then second, there was a lot of grappling with the past, grappling with what had really been done to me and being able to feel the feelings around that and understand that Mm. it was horrible and sort of being able to parent that inner child and comfort her and EMDR helped with that. Some psychotherapy helped with that as well as meditation and yeah, also psychedelics. Um, And then third, I needed to figure out how to sort of relearn to interact with other people um, because I had only been taught to fear them, to sort of fawn around them or to get aggressive. And I just had to like sort of relearn how to be a person and how to have relationships. And so I did a bunch of relational therapy with my therapist, Dr. Jacob Hom, that included Google Docs therapy and like in which we recorded our sessions and went through the Google Docs and really hyper analyzed in this very journalistic and editorial way, like exactly what I was doing in conversation where my fear was coming out or my PTSD was coming out and how I could question that and Mm. reanalyze that and try and be a better friend, a better listener, and also to have my needs met more healthily. And I think all three of those things I'm still working on all the time, but I think having those three pillars has really brought me to a place of feeling agency, I think, over complex PTSD, feeling a lot of hope, 
there's still bad days where I feel triggered, of course, but there's not really days where I feel like, oh no, I'm screwed. Mm-hmm. There's nothing I can do anymore. It's more just like, okay, let's break the tools out of the toolbox. Let's see what we can do or let's ride it out because feeling fear and anger and all of that is also just a very regular, normal, healthy part of living life. This is so important. It's so important. I was just at my daughter's birthday. Um, a friend of ours was there and uh, the mom was good friends with Twitch who committed suicide. You know, he worked on the Ellen DeGeneres show. They were very good friends. And just at the party, we were talking about it. We've talked about it before because they were good friends. And she said, you know, he gave so much all the time to other people. Like he, he always shined a light on everybody else. And I don't know him. So I can't speak at all to anything except that one awareness that she had makes me think about this conversation and how there are people who are struggling so deeply because their relationship to self is only an extension of being a mirror for other people. And they don't have any feeling outside of that. Right. And, and again, I'm not making a statement about him personally, because I don't know, but just that comment, right. Just the comment that somebody is a constant mirror for other people, constantly shining a light on other people. I relate to that personally. And I can also relate to how exhausting that can be. And everything you just said that you've done to bring yourself more well-being, the fact that it actually can work even a little bit, the fact that it actually can give you even 40% of more well-being or even 80% some days. I mean, I'm so grateful that that exists, right? I'm so grateful that the mind has some neuroplasticity or there is some somatic relief in breath work. And um, you mentioned in the string of things, you said psychedelics. I'm just so curious because a friend of mine has been asking me and asking me, you should do psilocybin. I'm like, I don't know. I'm curious, but I'm not there. Like, you know, you mentioned it. So I'm curious what your experience was. I mean, just quickly off the last point, I think it's very human and normal and natural for us to all be in your of. I think that's one of the really important things I learned about healing is that you don't heal in a vacuum. You don't go off into the wilderness and just heal by yourself. That's why relational therapy was so important to me. Right. That you heal in relation to other people because we all see ourselves as there is no pure default person that we are. We all exist in relation to the people that we love and the people that we know. It makes sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess one of the more internal things you can do is do psychedelics. <laughs> and most of my experiences have been solo trips. My most healing experiences have been solo trips. And so it's not certainly like going to a rave and dropping acid and right. whatever. It's, it's like going out into the woods by myself or the botanical Brooklyn Botanical Garden, which is like the closest thing I can get to that in New York City and taking some shrooms and meditating by myself and really grappling with deep, hard things for a few hours. I think it really focuses your attention on an idea of self or a traumatic idea or whatever and you can really be able to see perspectives on it i think it can really focus your attention on like a leaf if you're staring at a leaf and make you really sort of in your body for the first time or 
recognize the beauty in nature and sort of give you a shortcut into how to meditate if that's not something that comes easily to you, which it didn't to me. And I think what was most valuable about it to me is that it also was one of the only times when I was able to love myself unconditionally and give myself that perspective and forgive myself for a lot of things that I had done in the past. And, you know, it doesn't stay, that feeling doesn't stay forever. You don't just sober up and then you're enlightened forever. You have to keep it going. You have to build in that meditation practice or build in that healthy self-talk or whatever it is, but it can give you a little bit of a shortcut to like give you a peek and say, this is what it would look like if you loved yourself. So why not try and get back to that place? <laughs> Cause it that's, is possible. That's so beautiful. It made me cry because it's, <laughs> it's so beautiful. And because, you know, mostly I'm talking to women and I feel like women are so hard on themselves. Like I can feel the level of hard on ourselves. And part of it is, as you were talking, there's so many things that came to my mind, but one of them was just for whatever reason, your mother or father or both didn't love themselves, then that's the model that we have for self-love. And so we're just so unkind to ourselves. You know, we just hold ourselves to such a high standard in every way, our weight, our work, our productivity, our kindness, our sense of service to other, I mean, it's just never ending feeling of not measuring up sometimes, you know, and, and it's beautiful that you even experience that a little bit, you know, this like other sort of orientation to self where you can go, Oh, there's another way to feel about myself and it exists. And wow. Just knowing that, that, that exists somewhere, you know, in my consciousness. It's a healthier model for sure. Yeah. On a totally different topic, I'm just curious, what was it like for you? I mean, you have had such a really, such a fulfilling and fun career and such cool work, you know, like this American life is not, you know, like most pieces of content, it's really quite great, you know, (laughs) and, uh, I I mean, in in a sea of a lot of noise, to be a match for something like that, you know, says a lot about you. And I'm just curious, like, what was it like for you, that particular experience and working with Ira Glass? And what is it like for you to to be in that experience? Being a journalist is always, like I said, it's, it's just always opened up my world and given me perspective on a lot of different people and places and that I never would have had access to otherwise. And let me just spend a lot of time getting really intimate with people who are very, very different from me. Everything from like polygamists to veterans to intersex people to Republicans, like everybody. Uh, and so it definitely helped generate a lot of empathy for me for a lot of different people. And it widened my world. And yeah, I mean, but journalism too is very stressful, especially after the 2016 election, like we became more of like a news show Mm -hmm. and there became this pressure of like, let's follow the news and like have a hot take on whatever's happened this week. 
And being a journalist is stressful too in that like a lot of times you have to make something happen within a couple of days and go out and find it and cut it together. And I did a lot of producing of like the whole staff and that's a really stressful situation when you're producing a whole show. You've got like a million moving pieces. You're managing a million different people trying to get everybody to turn their things in on time. And does this person's piece echo this person's piece? And then they overlap. And like, does this person have somebody to like put music to their piece and that person, you know? And so, yeah, it was very, I think in some ways my CPTSD was really good for the production stuff because it allowed the hypervigilance does allow you to weirdly stay calm in moments of extreme stress and pressure and so in like the last minute hustle of the newsroom right before like the show comes out at 7 p.m and it's like 5 p.m and it's crazy it allows you to sort of keep your head on straight a little bit mm-hmm. stay sane but i think it was also bad for my cptsd because i was like very vigilant all the time and there's just a lot of pressure to perform all the time it's when you work at some place that's that high that important that beloved there's a lot of pressure to be perfect and be great all the time. Mm, exhausting. And yeah. And like growing up, if I wasn't perfect and great all the time, my life could end. And so I still think I had that feeling <sighs> a lot of the time when I wasn't perfect and great all the time. That, that, I mean, I don't think I really rationally thought my life would end, but it felt in my body that scary. So I think being a freelancer is more my style. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of that, all of that is fascinating and, and makes a lot of sense as people are reading your book and listening to this podcast. What are you hoping that people might take away from hearing your story? What were you hoping when you wrote the book that might shift for people after they read? I just really, when I was first diagnosed, I didn't see any other stories about people like me, about people who had complex PTSD and what the healing, like a realistic portrait of what the healing process actually looked like. There are some trauma memoirs out there about like what it's like to experience child abuse, but I didn't see a memoir of going through all the treatments and trying to figure out how to get better from it. So I just wanted people to feel less alone. And I basically wanted the book to be like, okay, you just got diagnosed with complex PTSD. If this is the first book that you read, it'll give you the basic science and psychology behind it. It'll give you real resources in terms of how to begin your healing journey. And it'll give you hope that there is light at the end of the tunnel and it's absolutely possible to have like healthy relationships and love and happiness and the full nuanced life and have complex PTSD at the same time. And I do believe that it has provided that for a lot of people. And I feel very proud and very grateful that that's the case, that it has worked miraculously, I guess. It's really a pretty awesome thing that you could all of these things, you know, that you were able to breathe in and out. That's also amazing just to get through the days and stay here on the planet and 
go through your life and become successful and take care of a lot of business and write the whole book. And, you know, all of it is like just so impressive. What would be this next chapter for you? What feels the most yummy or dreamy or fulfilling? Do you feel like you want to write more books? Do you feel like you want to have just this nice balance of freelancing and living your life and taking walks in the botanical gardens? Do you feel like you want to have your own podcast? Do you feel like you want to, I don't know, produce another show at some point? Like what, what's your, what's your feeling toward that? Dr. Hom and I have talked about having a show one day might still be a thing that happens. I don't know. Mark gets a little right now. So we'll see. (laughs) Um, But uh, I think the main thing is just to like seven months pregnant right now. So, oh my gosh, the main I love how that shows up in the last minute. I have no (laughs) idea. That's amazing. Yeah. It's mostly to be a good parent. It's mostly to just like, I am doing a lot of research right now in terms of how to have trauma and parent lovingly and to not pass this on and to deal with a lot of the things that come up when you're a traumatized mother and just surviving that being a good enough parent and maybe writing about that experience one day. That's amazing. And I'm really excited for you and with all the things that come with it, you know, as much as there is that comes with it. It's also, um, it's like this incredible opportunity for the deepest love on the earth. If we're present for that, you know, it can be such an incredible, incredible gift. So that's what they say. That's what everyone says. Yeah. I can't, I feel like I can't, you you can't imagine it until it happens. No, you you can't. I, I remember that feeling with each of my daughters. I have three girls and I was just like, wow, I've never felt a feeling from my toes up, like (laughs) where every single cell is like transfixed and transported into something called, I don't know, like, I guess love. It's the deepest feeling of love I've ever felt because there's no expectation and it feels like it always was and it always will be. Anyway, you're such a gift to your kid because you've done so much um, brave work and it's already different no matter what happens next it's already not the same i think so yeah yeah that's so cool (laughs) yeah and it's also so normal to be like i remember i went to a prenatal yoga class before i had my first daughter and the yoga teacher this beautiful woman she was like listen when you guys have the baby, if you have a moment where you feel, and she like went through a list of very dark things. And I thought, <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, what a buzzkill. Like, why is she listing this? And then it was like nine days after my first daughter was born. And I was sitting there in full-blown postpartum having a, one of those moments. Cause there's all kinds of moments. And I was like, I'm so glad she said that out loud because I know that this is a thing, that this is a real thing and I'm not alone. And so Yes. It's like all the things rolled together, but you are so aware and prepared as you could only be. There's, there's only so much you can prepare for what is. And then it just, it's just like swimming in the ocean and going, wow, there's a wave. 
okie doke. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, here we go. So it's a, here we go. And anyway, I'm so um, happy that you came on. I loved every moment of what you shared. I, I feel so personally, just so much healing and just listening to you talk. So thank you. Well, thank you for listening and empathizing and giving me the opportunity to share with everybody. Tell everybody, I mean, we'll put all the things in the show notes, but just tell everybody where they can follow along and buy the book and be a part of your world. Uh, sure. You can buy the book anywhere. I like bookshop.org. The audible version of my book has real recordings from my therapy sessions in the chapters where I talk about my so cool. therapy. So if that's up your alley, then check that out. And wow. you can follow me on foo, foo, foo on Instagram. Amazing. I can't believe how cool of an idea that you recorded those sessions and put them in the audiobook. So cool. That is for sure a show. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's for sure a show in due time, in due, in time. due time. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Stephanie. Wow. That was such an important conversation. Okay. Here are the takeaways. Number one, your trauma isn't just personal. It's communal. You're not alone. Number two, trauma isn't a personal failing but a result of much larger events. When you recognize this, you can work on healing and thank the symptoms that kept you alive. But the ways in which it's hurt you, you can stop those from moving forward into the next generation. Number three, there comes a point at which you have to acknowledge all that you've been carrying and spread out everything on the table and decide which of these things you're finally going to put down. Number four, the simple act of saying, I'm so sorry that you had that experience can be such a powerful thing. Number five, when you're feeling triggered, try saying, let's break out the tools from the toolbox. Let's see what we can do. Or maybe we'll just have to ride this out because feeling all your emotions is really, truly normal and healthy and part of living your best life. Number six, you don't just sober up and then you're enlightened forever. You have to keep it going. You have to build in those practices, but it's okay to give yourself a peek of what it would look like if you loved yourself. So why not try and get back to that place? Because it is possible. And number seven, there is indeed light at the end of the tunnel. I just want to say again, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting what we do. I appreciate every single one of you who listens. There's so many good episodes that are coming up. So please make sure that you follow us on Apple Podcasts or you subscribe on Spotify, wherever you're listening. And if you're a fan of what we're doing, please go leave us a review. In fact, we're going to be doing a giveaway soon and we would love to see you guys leave reviews so that we can choose you to have a awesome little shopping spree for summer. You will see it on my Instagram. So look out for that tomorrow. If you want to enter the giveaway, all you have to do is leave a review and then let me know that on Instagram. So look out for that giveaway post. If there's someone who you think could benefit from this episode, please send them the link. I think that this is one of those really important episodes that might actually be really, really important for someone to hear. And finally, if you want to join me in this meditation membership, it's just $10 a month. You can cancel at any time. Go to kathyheller.com slash membership. I'll leave you with a song of mine. I love you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Sunday nights, I would go for a drive. And the hills were lit up with their twinkling lights. There was a place at a table. Someone was waiting for everyone but me and then you came along with your bittersweet eyes